May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. The scripture for today is from John 14, verse 24. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Thank you, Liz. So, This past weekend, yesterday and the day before, I spent my time up at the College of St. Benedict's with the Minnesota Conference of the United Church of Christ, my denomination. This was the annual meeting of the Minnesota Conference of the UCC. And, you know, I wanted to reflect a little bit on it for you today because here at St. Luke, we are a congregation of the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, and also a little bit more sometimes. We've tended to give them a nudge in a holy direction once or twice, right? I'm looking at that sanctuary poster on the wall. And also, we have connections with our wider siblings and faith. My predecessor was a UCC member for the Christian Ed director here, and your previous associate or interim minister, Anita Bradshaw, is a UCC minister as well. Um, I know there are some, I know we had a, a remembrance ceremony for the beloved Bill Frank, minister of the UCC, just recently. So there are ties here, and certainly spiritually, Our mission to seek justice, love kindness, make peace, walk humbly with God is right in line with the UCC. And so I want to connect some of the, what was given the state of the conference speech. um, Because it was, it connects to some things that our session has been talking about, namely, Navigating Changing Church Tides. So early on, you know, this was the big annual meeting of the UCC. So early on, we reviewed the business, right? We had resolutions to make, all sorts of parliamentarian business to get through. It was super fun. We decided, we talked about where the money goes that it's given to the conference, what we do with it, how we invest it, maybe in new ways for a new time. And besides that low-hanging fruit of divestment from weapons of death and unsustainable pollutants, which I love to report that your session is also working on, and our adult ed this morning talked exactly about how you all, we all, can divest our money. That information is going to be made available on our website soon. And here at St. Luke, we have a resolution to be carbon neutral in like eight more years. How cool is that? All these lights are LED. We're getting there. But besides that sort of low-hanging fruit of divesting from things that aren't sustainable, 
The conference also talked about development of new structures for support, ways the church can give and sustain life in ways that are new, brand new, revolutionary, some would say. Some might also say familiar to an ancient time when communities were the most important thing. There is talk of clergy cohorts for clergy of color, trans and queer clergy, which I look forward to being a part of, and rural clergy. Challenges for the rural communities are quite different than metropolitan churches. All for the sake of deepening relationship and meeting the needs of the people who make up the church. The hope is to help support the pastors who are tired and burnt out after years of pandemic ministry and isolation by rejuvenating life and support that then we will come back to all of you with brand new ideas and initiatives and energy to feed the wider church. And amid all this talk of new and exciting and pivoting and innovating, the tone also turned. When we started talking about the six UCC churches that have closed in the last two years here in Minnesota, with more coming this year. Now, I didn't get the number of how many Presbyterian churches have closed this year, but now I'm curious about it. Because this is a reality that we're living in. And a quote was brought up from uh, author theologian Rachel Held Evans that death is a concern for empires because we are a people of resurrection. And our conference minister, Sherry Prestamon, said, if we're being honest and we want church to be a life-giving institution for our communities, ourselves, well, if we're being honest, there are probably some things about church life that should die. How about the idea that spiritual authority is only for the ordained? That within each of you lies spiritual authority of your own life, of your own soul, of those around you. That's a revolutionary thought for the institutional church who loves to give these to set us apart. It's also one that Jesus rebuked with his ministry in the temples. He was no formal scholar, yet he came and taught the religious leaders of his time. How about this thought? This idea perhaps needs to be laid to rest that church leadership is only for elders. That perhaps, and I love that we have a youth elder on our session. There she is. Yeah. We've had a youth elder on our session for four years now that I've been here. And that's amazing. And not across the board. How about the idea, the, the idea that churches are an insular presence in our immediate physical community? 
that we who gather here gather in this sanctuary space, and yet we don't know the name of the people who live right there. That we don't know the needs of the people who live right there. We don't know their struggles. And that is not to blame any of you, any of us. That is an institutional mechanic that we have become insular presences in our communities. And perhaps Reverend Prestemon concluded that that is something that should die. That the church should be open, a place of welcome for the community. And though we say that, do they know it? And now, when we talk about death and resurrection, I know that here at St. Luke, many of us have tenuous connections to resurrection and that concept. But Reverend Prestemon reminded us that faith in resurrection is an outright rejection of empire and its oppressive, dehumanizing ways. For empires rise and fall by the death of individuals. Death is what empire is all about. Resurrection, that's good trouble. So resurrection also is never just about Jesus. Nor, she concludes, is it past tense. One thing that happened way back when, maybe, but is an ongoing story for the people of God who believe in it for the restoration of our world. That death is not the end. New life is found afterwards. And a dichotomistic theme began to emerge over the weekend. And being on the annual meeting planning committee, I know that this was the work of the Spirit because we did not plan for these two themes to start becoming front and center. And yet, speaker after speaker after speaker began touching on these two points. Grief and gratitude. Let me get into grief for a minute. Because we heard how, at this conference, our American capitalistic culture makes it so hard to linger in grief. That doing so is unproductive. Or quite frankly, that we're in a time when it's now just one new sorrow after the next with little time to mourn and linger in grief for the heartbreak that we felt. No time to linger in our grief before we are struck in the heart again. But we, as a church, in a time of changing tides and changing needs for the wider community, there are so many nonprofits out there now doing great work for homeless advocacy, for support, for care, that was once the sole purpose of the church. There are entire organizations doing that work now with structures and professionals who just do that. 
and aren't reliant solely on volunteers. And so in this changing time, as our session is navigating, what does the, ne what does the next 10 years look like for St. Luke? I was struck by this notion presented that we as the church are uniquely seated to cultivate a practice of lingering with people's grief, being with them as they mourn, as we mourn together as a community. Because mourning is so critical to our well-being. It helps us recognize the end of one thing. And when we do it in beloved, supportive, compassionate community, in church, together, we can feel grateful and gratitude enters into our hearts as well. Grateful for the compassion of those who would linger with us. We have no choice. When we lose a loved one, when we, our hearts are broken, we are in mournful grief. What a gift to sit alongside someone so they are not alone in that grief. And that ability for us to linger together then breeds gratitude. And that gratitude is a connection and the beginning of something new, a resurrection of life. But only if we detach it. Our, our keynote speaker, Diana Butler Bass, author and theologian, spoke to this, saying that only if we can detach it from the idea that we owe someone gratitude. She highlighted this concept by talking about an, a lecture she had attended with an Anglican priest years ago. And she sent him a thank you note, thanking him for the lovely presentation. To which she then got back a thank you card for her thank you note. And she thought to herself, Sh should I send him a thank you card for the thank you card? And it just keeps going. The new president of United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, my alma mater, Dr. the Reverend Dr. Molly T. Marshall, expanded on this idea during her Bible study, talking about the Latin root, as a good seminary instructor would do, talked about the Latin root of the word gratitude being gratis, often thought in the context of doing one a great favor. And gratitude for our ears, for our times, can be difficult to cultivate when it is attached to a debt, when someone has done us a favor and we feel that we owe them a debt of gratitude. Because we live in a quid quo pro society, just like the Roman Empire of Jesus' time which commodified being thankful. If you don't believe me, Hallmark 
huge business profits, commodifying gratitude. Because someone did something for you, and so you must pay them back with gratis. Gratitude to repay a debt. But, Diana Butler Bass goes on, if we can free ourselves from this ancient idea of gratitude, where you owe someone a debt of gratitude and instead transform it into a response, a response to a gift, one that is given freely and needs no debt repaid. But if gratitude is no longer a debt being repaid and is suddenly a response to a gift, that is a new resurrection of new life and new beginnings. Because gratitude, Diana Butler Bass went on to say, does four things. And she had an hour-long presentation on these four things, so I'm going to shrink it down for you. Number one, it celebrates the present. Celebrates the present. I got to talk to my colleagues this weekend about how cool this church is and how during the pandemic last year, we were able to open up and open up these doors right here because we have a patio right outside with big glass windows that we can just throw a speaker out there and people can sit outside and be a part of worship. Families can attend safely, comfortably, outside. That is a gift that most churches do not have. And I am so grateful to be able to look out here, see that beautiful backyard and all the saints that have gone before us. And gratitude, she goes on to say, blocks toxic emotions like envy, resentment, regret, and depression. I'll get into more of that in a second, because these other things that gratitude does is this practice of gratitude, and she said, scientifically proven to alter brain chemistry. It makes us more stress-resilient and resistant. It also strengthens social ties. And our pop culture... Our movies a few years back gave us a warning line, Jedi Master Yoda in the Star Wars prequels once said, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Has there ever been a more true line uttered? We certainly have witnessed how fear has led to anger and how anger has led to hate and how hate has led to suffering across our country, across our state, across our world these past five years. More if we're being honest. But why linger in the negative? Because I want to be, I want to block toxic emotions like that. And so I want to think about gratitude because after this weekend, I was driving home and I had this thought. Gratitude leads to grace. The willingness to forgive or not linger in the negative results of mistakes. Gratitude leads to grace. 
I am grateful for Liz coming up here and volunteering to lead our scripture this morning and to lead our opening prayer, and you fumbled a little bit on it. And that's fine. This is a community of grace. No one is going to hold that against you because we have so much gratitude for the gift of being a part of our service, for being in this community together. Gratitude leads to grace, and grace leads to peace. Because when we mess up, it's okay. You didn't blush too much when you messed up. It was a simple eye roll and we moved on. And the work of the Spirit, I'm sorry to raise this so many times, but the work of the Spirit gave us an example of this sermon point this morning. So I had to mention it. Because grace leads to peace and the peace that we have been given by Christ in our scripture this morning, that peace leads to happiness. When we know that we are enough just by showing up, doing our best, making mistakes along the way, we can live in happiness because we're doing our best. So when grief hits us, as it has so repeatedly and so viciously, these past few years, gratitude can help us navigate. Notice I said navigate. It's not going to fix our sorrow. It's not going to erase our pain. Gratitude honors our pain and our loss. It recognizes it, and then it recognizes the blessings around us and helps us move forward. I want to retell one more story that Diana Butler Bass told us yesterday. She was friends with acclaimed theologian Marcus Borg, who maybe some of you have heard of. And when Marcus Borg died, his widow, Marianne, gave Diana a token of their friendship. It was an art piece of a cross. And Marianne was so grateful for the friendship between those two. She saw how much it meant to Marcus and to her that she offered a gift in response, a token of her appreciation. It wasn't owed, it wasn't expected, and it certainly was not an equal exchange. Just as the apple that a student will give a teacher does not equal the impact the student is grateful for. It is a token which starts a new story, a new beginning, a new connection and relationship based on love and care and gratitude. It remembers our gratitude. It realizes it into the world. And one other part that I want to talk a little bit is that staving off emotions, staving off toxic emotions that gratitude can do. Because we have this fight or flight response. Amen? It's a thing? It's a learned evolutionary trait that helped our ancestors stay alive 
when they were in danger. But now, when we feel threatened, maybe our suggestion is shot down, or our clothes are disparaged, or we're made to feel less than blessed, made to feel guilty as not perfect, our fight-or-flight response will kick in and we will get defensive. Has anyone ever gotten defensive over just the slightest little comment? For someone that you love, right? Someone that you love makes kind of a comment, but it just sticks with you and gets defensive. Angry. Critical. The walls go up. Connection is severed. If we cultivate a practice of gratitude, make that second nature. Make that the rut that we go to when we're pushed. And for Diana, the practice of gratitude can look as simple as having a small, smooth river rock next to her bed that says gratitude on it, to touch it before bed. And first thing in the morning, to remind herself that gratitude is the word of the day. If we do that, we may instead be able to pause and choose instead, not even choose, just avert our attention and make ourselves instead not be defensive, but be grateful that someone cares enough to tell us the truth or cares enough to tell us what they think is the truth and not lie to our faces. We may choose to be grateful, grateful for our lives, our communities, the air we breathe, the fact that we can still get angry if we want to as many that we beloved can no longer. Fear loses all grip on us. And if fear loses its grip on us, then we will not be led to anger, which will not lead us to hate, which will not lead us to communal suffering. Stop it right at the headwaters. Because honestly, who cares if we're not perfect? Anybody perfect? No one's perfect. But with gratitude, that leads us to grace and be okay with people's imperfections, especially our own. And grace leads to peace, which honestly fits right into our scripture for today. Yes, I am going to tie this all together with that scripture. And yes, it is the same scripture from last week. Because Christ said that peace is left with us, not the way the world leaves us. Not way where we owe a debt of gratitude to Christ though I'm sure there are many preachers out there who would say so, that we owe Christ our debt. It was given freely, a gift, that we in our gratitude can respond to. Peace. It is here for us 
Christ doesn't say we have to earn it. It is a gift, one that we can show appreciation for if we accept it into our lives. Peace, one that empire wants to lock away and destroy and kill. And yet, it can be set free and resurrected with gratitude. Gratitude that leads to grace. So in closing this reflection on the weekend behind me with my denomination, I'll leave you with two more quotes. One from the UTS president, the Reverend Dr. Molly T. Marshall. Please know, it is never too early to express grief. It is never too early to express gratitude. And the other, from the conference minister of the Minnesota Conference of the United Church of Christ, Reverend Sherry Prestman, reinterpreted for this beloved community that I stand in front of today. As a token of my gratitude for you all and all the conversations and the stories and the interactions and the ministry that we have shared together, the tears, the laughter, and everything in between for these past four years. Blessed are you who removes invasives from the earth. Blessed are you who march up the Capitol steps and protest the death march of the American empire in all its various forms. Blessed are you who mourn the loss of the good old days. Blessed are you who sigh and do the work that no one else will sign up to do anymore. Blessed are you who welcome people to live openly and proudly as their lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, and authentic selves. Blessed are you who weep for our children taken by gun violence. Blessed are you who weep for our nation. Blessed are you who pray for our church. Blessed are you, the imperfect and precious signs of an eternal and grateful love in a broken world. Blessed are you, and blessed are we. Thank you. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace. <laughs>